What does Bethlehem mean? We all know that it's the birthplace of Jesus. But does it mean more than a geographical reference to the birth of an infant? Part of the mystery of Advent, part of what, what draws us in, is this notion that God would become man. This notion that this God who knows no limits, no bounds, this holy, righteous, all-powerful, all-knowing God would become a baby. He's everywhere present, and yet He was born in a small town some eight miles south of Jerusalem. It's an astounding reality. And we're invited into this mystery of who Christ is and what the gospel is all about as we consider Advent. We all understand that birthplaces have some significance. Where were your kids born? Where were you born? It matters. We think about those things, those details of our life. In this case, in the case of Jesus, his birthplace has tremendous meaning. It's loaded. Where will he come from? Where will this king hail from? Does it matter? Jesus' birth in Bethlehem points to, to just that reality that Jesus has come to be king. It also points to a larger story and a dark story of redemption and a greater redeemer than Moses. We'll get there. First, Jesus coming to Bethlehem means that God's, the King of God's people has come. And we notice that right away because these wise men from the east, as we just read, come looking for not just anybody. They come looking for a king. And this has great history in the Old Testament. Kings and queens and rulers from other nations would come to Israel to meet and herald their kings. That's exactly what's going on here. We have an issue of time. This could be up to, to two years or more after Jesus was born. His family's still there in Bethlehem because they went to a house by this point. It doesn't say they rolled up to the inn. They went to a house. Have you ever thought about what's up with these magi? The wise men. Do you ever think about them when you get them out, you know, your nativity scene maybe at home and you unwrap them? Have you ever thought about who those guys are? What role they play? We don't know how many there were. In many of the scenes, there are three of them. You set them all up. They're all right there. We know they weren't from nearby. They were from a long ways away. Persia, the east. We know that they had great learning. We know that they had tremendous wealth. We know that in all likelihood they were kings where they came from themselves. These guys were not of uh, a peasant class. They were of a ruling intellectual class. And yet here they are coming to Bethlehem to worship a small child. 
a baby. Notice that in the text, two times we're told that these men came to worship Him. They came to worship this King. It's a tremendous lesson that God would reach into uncharted territory to call worshipers to Himself. He goes to the most unlikely places. It should catch our attention right away that these guys are Gentiles. They're on the outside. They're on the outs. They, they shouldn't get it. Israel, the hometown folks, Herod, all the rest, they should get it. They should be looking. Hey, where's, where's the one who would be king? But they don't. They don't know what's going on. And these guys, these Gentiles, come from Persia to Jerusalem, to the, to the city, to the, the big metropolis, because they, they want to know. They go to the seat of power. And they ask the question, hey, where's your new king? We saw the stars. We, we got all the messages, and we came to worship him. And the guys in the, in the city, they, the, the powerful Herod and, and his cronies, they don't know like, hey, you tell us. And think about the way that flips everything on its head. The insiders, the one who should get it, the, the people who are God's people, always living under His blessing, always receiving His covenant, scratching their heads. And these outsiders, foreigners, are invited in. And they come to worship the King. God is displaying His glory God is telling us, I will save who I want to save. I will do what I want to do. If I want to call three magi from the east to come and worship, I will do that. There's so much we could say about these wise men. Again, they, they, they sought Jesus. They, they worshipped Him. They knew who they were looking for. They brought three extravagant gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I think the application is found in the ironies in this text. And look, the, the life of Jesus is dripping with irony. Why? Because it's, it, it's inviting us into this upside-down story. And it's saying, where do you fit in this story? Where do you fit with outsiders, Gentile stargazers, palm readers? That's what you should think. When you hear wise men from the East, think Miss Lamar's palm reader. Like, wait a second. Those guys are way on the outside. They're, they're wrong. Look, Jesus is calling them. God is calling them to, to, to come and worship Him. Do you know that God will save who He's going to save? Do you ever limit in your mind who it is God is going after? I think sometimes we do. Do you ever limit in your mind who can possibly be saved? Think of the, think of the person as far out on the outs as you can get from, from us. Maybe just in this room. Who is it? What do they look like? What do they smell like? What color are they? 
How bad are they? Could God call them in His power and transform them into worshipers of Himself? It's a beautiful mystery that that is unfolding here. And that's what Advent is showing us. God will be worshipped. And if not by His insiders, then He'll call outsiders to come and do it. Jesus will receive worship. And there's no one too far on the outs that God can't transform them. There's great danger for us in equating our membership and activity in the the church with the knowledge of Jesus Christ and faith in His gospel. There's danger there. Israel always received these, these great covenant blessings so much so that they just forgot. They forgot their God. They forgot that they were supposed to anticipate a coming Redeemer. They forgot what this Redeemer would look like. We talked about last week the light of the prophets. Time after time after time, the prophets reveal and unfold this truth of a Christ who's coming, a Messiah who would come to save. And they forget. They go to church week in and week out. They do all the good stuff. They go to Sunday school community groups. They serve. They do all this good stuff and they forget Christ. Forget Him. We need to be careful. If we don't worship Him in truth, He will call worshipers to Himself. Do you know that God is building a kingdom from every race on earth? Every race in Shreveport. Every color, every tongue, every tribe, He is building His kingdom. Will He use us? Will He use Grace Presbyterian? Will we be those to to take this message, this light, to others, even others who aren't like us. It's what God does. And He does it time after time after time, saving the unexpected. He delights to do that. Do you have a friend, a family member, a loved one, who you just think is so far on the outs, they just won't get it? Listen, this is what God delights to do. He delights to love the unlovable, to save the unsavable. He delights to do things for His glory, things that you and I could never do. Another irony is that the wise men were seeking to worship Jesus while Herod was seeking to destroy Him. So not only were His own people not really looking for Him, these wise men came and they're like, oh, ring the bell. Hey, we got to find this dude. Hey, Yeah, you guys chase down that star. When you find him, come back and let me know. I want to go worship him too. Do you see the opposite reactions to the same Savior? There's no middle ground. One group comes in, we we want to worship this child who's been born, who's a king. The other group, we want to kill him. We've got to shut him up. We've got to stop it. He's a threat. This king and his kingdom is a threat to our power. It's a threat to our domain. 
And we still see these virulent reactions to the gospel in our day. We see them time after time after time. Is it important what we're doing here week in and week out? Gathering to to worship like this. Is this important? I would say it is. I would say it's absolutely vital to who we are as the people of God. When Jesus enters the city... This is late in his ministry. He's he's coming into the city, the triumphant king riding on a donkey. The people are yelling and crying out, Hosanna to the king. They're they're praising the Lord. And the Pharisees, again, still late late in his life, the, the people on the inside who should get it say, hey, you need to shut them up. You need to make them stop. What does Jesus say to that? I can't. If I make them stop, I tell you, He replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. He will be worshipped. He will be praised. See the irony there? Let's not be the people who just say we get it and move on with our business. Lastly, these ironic gifts. What would you get for a child? Let's just think about all the nice things we give to children. We give them cool gifts. We give them pacifiers, maybe some clothes, a nice onesie, some diapers, maybe a kid's book. It's good stuff. These guys come into this house and they unload some Pretty crazy gifts for a little kid. Gold, frankincense, and murder. I can't help but see beauty in their gifts. And I'm not the only one who's seen this origin going way back in church history. And Contra Selsen said this, Gold as to a king. Myrrh as to one who was mortal, and incense as to a god. Gold for a king, frankincense, incense burned to a god, and myrrh for one who would die. Spices used to prepare a dead body. These gifts, these ironic gifts from these strangers in a foreign land are telling the story of this child in extravagance. They're saying this child is is none other than a king. Here he is, worthy of our gold. But this child is also God. God incarnate. And this child is being born to die. Not because he will be guilty of anything in and of himself, worthy of a death sentence, but he will die a death for others, for you and me. Do we understand that the whole gospel is like this? The whole gospel is full of irony. It's beautiful. It's so upside down. 
That's why it's a candle of love, because it's so incomprehensible that God would send His own Son to this, to this world. That He would be born in this out-of-the-way town. It's incredible, mind-blowing love. So the wise men, again, they were looking for Jesus. They came to the local ruler. They came to Herod. Herod's a a sick man. They come to find out where Jesus would be born and he, he doesn't know so he calls up the experts. The chief priests and scribes, it says. And they reference Micah 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Again, we have jam-packed in there that a ruler would be born who is the ancient of days. Again and again and again and again, the Gospel does this. And it does it to blow our minds. To make us just worship. To be in awe of this truth, this message. Have you ever caught that here? That this baby would be the ancient of days? And this out of the way town, everybody makes reference to it. Bethlehem is a small place. Too little to be among the clans of Judah. From the, the tribe of Judah, this is their, their uh, land given to them. This tiny little out of the way place. What's all this hubbub about Bethlehem? Doesn't seem that significant. Again, six, eight miles south of Jerusalem. You can still look it up. You can go Google it. It's still a town to this day. Same, same general place. Several things in Scripture. One, Rachel, Jacob's wife, was buried there. The city is old. It comes on the scene from way back. This, this tiny little town. Way back. Bethlehem and its surrounding countryside was the backdrop for the story of Ruth and Boaz. Does that ring a bell? It's an incredible story. If if you've forgotten about Ruth, you need to go read Ruth this afternoon. It's real short, worth your time. Read it. All that happens in in the backdrop of the town of Bethlehem. And their grandson, their great-grandson, Ruth and Boaz's great-grandson, marks this other chisel in the belt of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the birthplace of another king who would be a type and shadow pointing to the true king. It was the birthplace of King David. King David was born there. And his ancestor, Jesus, would be too. Let me just read you a bit of the covenant God made with David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. When your days, God is speaking to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, 
whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. There's coming a king who would come out of the city of David and his throne would be established forever. Bethlehem was known to the prophets as the city of kings. That's where they come from. If you're going to be waiting around Israel for the king, you were going to be looking to Bethlehem, this little out-of-the-way place. Small, insignificant, but great. The Gospel constantly turns expectations on end. Again, absolute power coming in the form of a helpless baby. The conquering of sin and death accomplished through the suffering of the only perfect one who's ever lived. God's delight time and time and time again to show Himself strong in our weakness. Embedded in the story of Bethlehem is this tiny, insignificant, out-of-the-way place. And from that place will come a Savior, a King. Is your approach to the Gospel one of power and strength? Is it one of your ability to get it done? Hey, I'm saved, I'm good because I can accomplish this. Or is your story, your encounter with the Gospel one of weakness? I can't accomplish it. I can't do it. Let me tell you, the latter is the one that resonates most deeply with the truth of Scripture. Time and time again, the weak, God raising up to use to show that He is strong. Next, Bethlehem points to a Redeemer like Moses, only greater. To get there, we're going to have to read a little more. If you would read with me. 13 through 23. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. He rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time when he ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. So what in the world does Bethlehem have to do with Moses? A few things to remember here. 
Look, each and every redemptive act in the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. That's our interpretation of all the Scriptures, that it all points to Christ. So every time you see a redemptive act, you have to to look ahead to say, hey, where's that pointing? It's pointing to Jesus. Verses 13 to 15, Joseph is warned to leave Bethlehem and take his family to Egypt. Why Egypt? Prophecy, out of Egypt I've called my son. There's another who's been called the son of God. In Exodus, the children of Israel. There's more going on here in verses 16 to 18. You have Herod destroying all the male children, two years old and younger. Does this remind you of anything? So you have this evil king. Twisted dude. And then this evil king gets wind of, hey, there's, there's power growing somewhere. We've got to do something about this power that's growing. So the, the object is to cut that power off. And so the, the, the means to do that is to start killing children. It's evil. But this Herod, this was not the first time this was done. There was another evil king, Pharaoh. And Israel's power was growing. Hey, we've got to do something about this power. God was also raising up a redeemer. He was raising up Moses. And all these infants were dying left and right and, and Moses was floated out there on the water, this tiny little ark. God saving His Redeemer. And this Redeemer would be spared, raised up, brought back, and would lead Israel out of bondage into freedom, back to the promised land. God is doing that again with the person of Jesus Christ. Do you see what that truth says about us? We are those in bondage. We are those in captivity. We are those enslaved to sin and death. And God would send His Redeemer in an attempt to cut that Redeemer off. Hey, kill all the the male children. Not only in Bethlehem, but that entire region. It's gross. It's a terrible, heinous act of evil. And in that... Jesus gets sent to Egypt. Here He is. This is true Israel. Leading a true Exodus people. His people. Even you and me. Out of the slave market of sin. Redeeming us. Buying us back. With His own shed blood. That's the message of Bethlehem. It is story, a story of amazing love. Bethlehem is this, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Consider that. God so loved the world. This fallen, desperate world, God so loved that He gave His Son. That he would be born into this frail, broken, 
that he would live perfectly the life that you and I, we can't live. That at the end of a perfect life, he would die the death that you and I deserve to die. He did that because he loved us. Then he conquered death, hell, and the grave in glorious resurrection. And he is still calling worshipers to himself. Let this be the application today. Know that God is love. Know that he's the king. Know that he is the redeemer. This baby born in Bethlehem, worshipped by wise men, hunted by Herod, coming up out of Egypt to save us from our sins.